This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. It's coming up to three minutes past nine. You are tuned to 102.7 RRR. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. Uh, my name's Cade Mills. Hi, Cade. I'm pretty stoked. I'm happy to be back in. Yeah, welcome back. going to be a tough, tough gig to follow up after last week. <laughs> we started with a bang. Pretty much covered sort of the north and the south of Australia with the <laughs> guests that you had on. And... Covered everything. It was it was pretty. Was enjoyed it at home. Oh, it was good. great. Yeah. Glad to hear. We had a, we had a big show. If you missed last week's show, we um uh, have put a link to that on our Facebook page. If you want to follow that one up. So um guest uh, uh, Dave Donnelly, who's actually going to be back in a couple of weeks' time. Um, Dave's down in Antarctica at the moment as part of a big CSIRO expedition looking at the links between um, blue whale migration, uh, krill, and and uh, and their their poop. And that, nutrient cycling. That photo from Dave is pretty much that cliche when you think of Antarctica, isn't it? Like, I'm sure it's not like that all the time, but just they yeah. always seem to send through. They always seem to send through those photos where the water's in like a sheet of glass. Yeah, exactly. Some ice caps in the background, and it yeah, it looks like a traveller's delight. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you very much to Tim and uh, to Tim's guest, Cat Power. What a treat! That was amazing. 
That was lovely chat. Yeah, quite a treat. And just the way he was able to draw out a few stories that I don't think she realised she was sharing them until (laughs) she got halfway through them. It was fantastic. Such is Tim's genius. Thank you very much. All right, our program for today. Uh, In a little while, we're going to be crossing Bass Strait to speak with Brett Ditchfield. He's down in Hobart at the moment as part of the Australian Wooden Boat Festival. So this is something that happens every couple of years uh, in Hobart, I believe. It's been in different locations as well um, there was one in Geelong yeah it's been at Queenscliff before as well it's yeah. quite a spectacle when you see all the boats out on the water um, I know at Queenscliff had all the old cooter boats that used to work in the rip and they have a lot of them around the bay and they all get together and yeah, it's quite a sight watching them there and I did have did a bit of homework yesterday and saw some footage of the boats out sailing for the Hobart one there's something very special about polished timber there is I, the amount of work that must go into oh, yeah. maintaining, keeping, building these boats. I'm sure Brett will fill us in more Excellent. about that. Um, then we're going to actually cross back to Hobart and speak with Terry because she's actually down there too for the same festival. So we're going to get a dive report from Terry. But um, Terry is a uh, also an, a very keen sailor with her partner Jeff, and um, so they have sailed their boat down to Hobart, and they're down there as well. So they've done the trip across Bass Strait. Yes. To get there? Yeah. Oh, wow. They do lots of sailing. When Terry's not uh, under the water, she's sailing on top of the water. So I hope the seas weren't angry, my friend, for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, then we're going to be speaking with Hilary McNevin, who is a very long-time um, friend of ours here at Radio Marinara. Hilary used to be part of our crew with uh, her segment um, touching on sustainability with the seafood industry and particularly within the restaurant sector. Uh, next weekend, Hilary's going to be moderating a panel session called Conversations in the Littoral, which is part of the Apollo Bay Seafood Festival. You might have heard um, various station announcements and uh, Tony Biggs was talking about it on Friday uh, on the blow. I think he had a couple of giveaways to that. Uh, anyway, so we're going to be speaking with Hillary about Conversations in the Littoral, which is taking place next weekend. We were hoping to have Hillary in, in studio, but we're going to talk to her on the phone. Yeah, I, again, I did my homework. I looked at the people that were lining up there and if I wasn't camping down Wilson's Prom that weekend, it would be the first down place I'd be off to. Yeah. yeah, it looks pretty amazing. And then to close the show, Jeff Maynard is going to be in with his first Soundwave segments for 2019 and the only clue that Jeff's given me is um, the theme for 2019 is where Soundwaves meets blow waves. So um, I'm thinking we might be in for some big hair and some big shoulder pads and maybe some big drama. Yeah, I went somewhere else with that, but I'm glad you roped it back in. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's have some weather and uh, then a bit of news, I reckon. So 25 we're heading for today, mostly sunny. Light winds becoming northwest to northwesterly up to 20 kilometres an hour in the morning, then becoming light in the middle of the day, so it's going to be spectacular. Tomorrow, 27, mostly sunny, light winds again. Uh, same, very, very similar, slightly warmer tomorrow. Uh, then Tuesday, shower or two and 21. Wednesday, 20, partly cloudy. Thursday, 23, partly cloudy. Friday, 23, partly cloudy. And then Saturday, 26. So looks like it's not going to get over 30 this week, which is a bit of a welcome change. I, Well, from my perspective anyway, Cade. Well, I'm heading down to the prom camping and... I was hoping it'd be a touch warmer, but I'll still be in the water. That'll be fine. 26 is pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tide times for today, if you're heading uh, out on the water, we are heading for a low tide at 10.29 at the heads, 0.44 metres, um, which is... Oh, yeah. And then a high tide at 4.39 this afternoon. And um, Swellnet forecast, of course, you should always check out swellnet.com for the most up-to-date forecast for the the surf conditions because they can change. Um... 
Swellnet says in the paper, there are plenty of waves on offer this morning. Fresh westerly winds are confining the best waves to Torquay region. Water temperature is 21 degrees, so still very, very nice and warm out in the water. Phillip Island tries sheltered spots in the coves this morning. Down on the peninsula, too bumpy, too big at the open beaches and too small for Western Port, so it sounds like the peninsula's... So if you're leaving Melbourne, head west. Head west. Yeah, and then Surf Coast. Good waves at Bells and Winky before the wind veers a little more onshore. Let's uh, have a couple of quick news items, I reckon, Kate, and we'll play some music. Yeah, well, I've, got, I've got quite a few things. It's been a while since I've been in. So I guess the first one is that the Great Victorian Fish Count wrapped up in December, towards the end of December, with the exception of one count. So the poor guys at um, Bowen Bluff weren't able to get out conditions weren't nice to them probably similar to the conditions they've got today yeah so they're going to be redoing or reorganize their fish count for the sunday the 24th of february at 9 30 at the bowen's bluff car park so if you didn't get a chance to get involved in the fish count you can go and join them but we had over 700 people involved in the fish count this year over 40 groups um you know, fish counts being done as far as down sort of Portland, Port Ferry, Port Campbell, and then over at um, Wilson's Prom, Beware Reef, and obviously a lot around Port Phillip Bay and Western Port. And, yeah, fantastic turnout, great response, and people all over the place sort of getting in the water, and I think it's often a way people kick off their diving season, and hopefully they've been busy during the rest of this diving season that's been going the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months. have had some really nice conditions and some great days, and unfortunately, as I've been on paternity leave, I've been living vicariously through other people's <laughs> photos, which has been interesting in yeah. itself. But, um, yeah, I'm quite itching to get back out there myself yeah, cool. and get involved, which I guess I'll move on. So on Thursday, again, I was on leave, but the DELP organised a Port Phillip Bay forum. So for those that have listened to the show, probably heard that there was a Port Phillip Bay fund a couple of years ago, started up with about $10 million earmarked to go towards projects to improve the health of the bay. Um, along with just improve the awareness of the bay. So just remind people that you don't have to go to the Great Barrier Reef to go diving. You can, you know, jump in your car, head down to Ricketts Point, Williamstown or anywhere in the bay and jump in and see something pretty amazing that you're not going to see anywhere else. So Delp put a lot of work into basically getting all the groups that had got some funding through this together and just got them all in the one spot, got a few people to give some talks and presentations on what they were doing. And it was amazing this, the... Oh, this, the can I use the vibe in the room? <laughs> uh, I actually had an academic who's doing some work with citizen science sort of for the first time and I got was chatting to her and she's like, everyone's so helpful. Everyone's so willing to share their information. Everyone wants to see you succeed. Everyone wants to make sure your project works well. She said it's a nice refreshing change from some of the ac- academic environments she's been in. So, which was, was interesting. I guess when you get community together, a lot of those people are putting in their time for nothing. Mm. They've got this interest and passion that they naturally have and it sort of came out on the day so some of the things I was able to get to as I said I took my son along and he was pretty good he slept through a lot of the stuff which was not to say that it was boring it was just that he was tired but there was some interesting work being done by the guys out at Melbourne Uni so I've just got to get their name right I didn't the National Centre for Coasts and I can't read my handwriting, but it's through <laughs> Melbourne Uni and Steve Swearer is the oh, yeah. director of the group there. And they're doing some really interesting work where they're um, removing urchins from barrens. So they're actually setting up 10 by 10 metre plots. Uh, I think off the top of my head it was they had 14 at uh, Point Cook and another 14 at Jawbone. 
and they're smashing urchins in different plots to basically kill them. So they just go around with a knife and they'll kill them in some plots. They'll do it once a year in some, they'll do it three times a year in other plots and then naturally you've got your control plots where they're not doing anything. So they'd started doing that about a year or so ago and I had a chat to a couple of people who went out just a few days ago to some of the plots at Point Cook to check on the ones where they'd... Um, killed the urchin they said yeah some of the plots are remaining quite clear which mm. was encouraging signs uh still a bit too early to see if any algae sort of come back yet but the idea is to try and get some of these aclonia these kelp beds back into these areas where historically they have mm. been and they've been quite prolific until the urchin sort of turned up so some really interesting work on that and the idea of you know if they're successful scaling it up they're also looking at transplanting a clonia across and then i think they're also looking at whether they can basically grow baby ones in aquaculture facilities and then be able to put them out so it's baby clonia baby clonia oh, yeah cool. so there's a lot of i guess it's restoration work is starting to really kick off particularly I guess locally, but around the world it's been going on for quite a while and it was really good to see that that was what we'd be doing in the bay. Yeah, urchins can be a huge problem. I know on the New South Wales southeast coast or south coast, um, yeah, they're, they're causing a, a, an enormous amount of trouble uh, on the inshore intertidal rocky reefs. And um, in Tasmania as well, there was yeah. an article just recently come out about losing 95% of the giant kelp. Wow. It's 5% left. Yeah. So they've, yeah, different species yep. for these problems. But, yeah, they have been known to be quite prolific in some of these spots. We might move on, I reckon, because we've got Brett waiting for us um, to I've talk about the Wooden Boat Festival. But hang on to that news, Kate. I've got plenty, Byron. Excellent. Uh, you are listening to Radio Marinara. It's coming up to 14 minutes past nine. And we're going to listen to some music now. When we come back, we'll speak with Brett Ditchfield from the Wooden Boat Festival in Hobart. He's uh, a little Lyle Lovett. If I Had a Boat, that was Lyle Lovett from uh, his album Live in Texas from way back in 1995. It's 17 past nine and you are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Now this weekend, hundreds of wooden boats from all around the world have converged upon beautiful Hobart for an exciting celebration of rich maritime culture from both here and from countries around the world. Over four days, the Australian Wooden Boat Festival is a celebration of all things wooden boat that includes the International Wooden Boat Symposium, the Shipwrights Village and, as you'd expect, an amazing display of classic and modern wooden boats from across the waterfront in Hobart. To tell us all about it with great excitement, now we cross over Bass Strait to speak with Brett Ditchfield. He's live on location at the Australian Wooden Boat Festival. Good morning, Brett, and uh, welcome to Radio Marinara. Good morning, Brian, and good morning, Kate. It's great to be here. We're sitting in the middle of Constitution, not actually listening to you guys on the radio, so uh, <laughs> streaming live across Bass Strait. Woo! <laughs> My state of wooden boats festival. Excellent. Now, I thought we might start with a visual. You've mentioned you you are in Constitution Dock. Uh, can you describe what's around you? Are you surrounded by wooden boats? We are. There's over 400 wooden boats here. So Constitution <laughs> Dock's the little one right in the in the city. Uh, so we've got quite probably 30 to 40 foot boats around us. Um, yeah, and it's a beautiful little thing. We just had some. Japanese drummers uh, quit drumming, thank goodness, because uh, they were rather loud. So, it would, it would be <laughs> so 
lots going on. Um, and as I said, it's a combination of almost a historical museum and an art gallery. Some of the uh, boats down here are works of art, so it's amazing. Where have they all come from, Brett? Um, and uh, have they all sailed into Hobart? How did they all make their way to you? Well, the, um, the Hobart Festival, it's on every two years, and it's one of the biggest in the world. So uh, I think the biggest uh, wooden boat festival is over in France in Brest. Um, and then Hobart is the second biggest wooden boat festival in the world. So they've come from everywhere. We've got 13 tall ships here, Adelaide, Sydney, Hobart, Melbourne. And um, we even have the North American Northwest School of Wooden Boat Building. These guys have come over... Oh, just before Christmas to um, kind of go down to Franklin and, and join and see how the locals build a boat. And they've actually built a little boat, a, um, a little haven, 12 and a half. I think it's a Herishoff design. And they're going to auction that off tomorrow. So uh, you can actually buy the boat that they've made down in Hobart. Wow. You said yourself, Brett, that uh, you know, it's like an art gallery down there and a lot of love goes into the making of these wooden boats. It's not just pressed out of a mould and slapped together. Any idea what sort of time it takes to make some of these boats? Uh, well, the little 12-and-a-half-foot haven that the uh, Northwest School has uh, built, they estimate the time and the materials. You're looking at about $70,000. So um, that's a brand-new boat just over 12 foot long so uh imagine what a 50 foot boat would cost oh yeah yeah that's incredible so and a real standout uh vessel down here is hurricane um she kind of starred in the baz luhrmann film the great gatsby so she's probably about 60 foot and everything on her is polished within an inch of its life so I'd feel like even touching it and leaving my fingerprints there. So, yeah, she's amazing. So, yeah. I wanted to ask you about um, wooden boat enthusiasts and is there anything in particular that sets them apart from other yachties? Is it kind of seen as a purest form of sailing enthusiasm? Well, I suppose they're a little bit more of an individualist as in everyone says, why buy a wooden boat? But yet you still go ahead and buy that wooden boat against all the advice in the world. So uh, um, I'm going to say they're slightly older. <laughs> yeah. As most things, we're trying to encourage quite a few of the youngsters coming up getting the wooden boats. Um, and I see just stubbornness because, um, yeah, and be ready to fix anything at the top of a hat. So got to be ready. Yeah. But otherwise... I was yeah, just thinking, the, Brett, with all the wooden boats, that obviously requires a set of skills that, you know, potentially being lost or sort of being rediscovered. Is, are you finding different age groups and people sort of passing their skills on through generations or is it, you know, is it something that's going to die out? No, it was starting to die out. I think we've got a bit of a resurgence, though. They're becoming a little bit more popular. And um, the boats uh, school down here in Franklin... They, um, they're teaching, you know, quite a few young people are going through. All the um, North Americans, they're all, you know, in their 20s. So um, there's a big group of them. So I think it's looking pretty good for wooden boats. They're starting to come back, uh, all those lost skills, and I think they're starting to get passed on just before we lose them. So it's, it's a positive sign, and especially, you know, Hobart, there's over 400 boats here. So it's, uh, it's starting to uh, 
come back a little bit, I believe. I wanted to have a look at the festival itself, Brett, and I noticed from the uh, website the boats themselves are categorised into one of two groups. They're either boats afloat or boats ashore. Um, what Do you know what determines whether your boat ends up on land or whether it's kind of a land to be at sea? Uh, well, most of the boats are float keel boats, so uh, they can't be pulled out unless, you know, you're, you're down at a marina to get them pulled out. Most of the boats are float, a little trailer sailors or beautiful little hewn pine dinghies that the uh, owners have made. And uh, I don't think they ever sail them now in such good condition. I think they just want to bring them down here and show them off of, you know, their craftsmanship. So yeah. all the smaller boats on the hard and then all, all the bigger boats that have actually sailed down uh, here in the water afloat. Yeah, I had a look through um, the names of some of the boats and um, I grew up in a fishing family and the names of these boats are a lot more dignified and peaceful than some of the, the names that I came across <laughs> through various <laughs> fishing clubs. So just, just as a few examples, as a contrast um, from the boats that are down there at the Wooden Boat Festival, there's April of Signet and Athena of Sydney and Bride of yeah. Bakhtida. And, you know, compared to some of the fishing boat names that I came across, Terminator and Break and Wind and Playboy, <laughs> spelled B-U-O. <laughs> Why? <laughs> there's there's I, a stark contrast. I'm probably generalising here. Um, have any jumped out at you? Oh, look, there, there are so many, and they're all dignified. Like, I think they're named after their mother's mother, who, you know, the, from the boat builder almost. So it's just unbelievable. But we've got some big boats. We've got the Endeavour down here. That's part of the uh, National Maritime Museum up in Darling Harbour. Um, the James Craig is down here. She's from Sydney. She's a huge... She's actually still home, but we don't mention that. She gets in because she's a tall ship. But she was abandoned down in Hobart um, and then recovered, shipped back to Sydney oh, many, many years ago and um, refurbished. And now she's a sail training boat and she's uh, pretty magnificent with all her sails set. Wow. So she's a rescue. Yeah, yeah. There's so many stories about some of these boats that have uh, that's been abandoned, they've gone out of fashion, they've just been parked up some little creek. And then uh, years come, people have seen the potential and, well, and, and the effort to get them afloat again and uh, up and running. So it's pretty amazing the, the, some of the backstories behind them. Yeah. I might be putting you on the spot here, Brett, but do you know the story behind it? It's a boat called the Vanessa G. The Vanessa G. No, you are putting me on the spot okay. there. Uh, I just read an article about it. It's a 104-year-old one of the Hewan Pine dinghies, but it's actually been restored by inmates at the Risdon Prison. Oh, wow. Yes, I think that is up to sale, I saw. I think that might be one of the boats getting uh, auctioned. It yep. is, yeah. I don't know, is that right? That is, that is correct, yeah. But I just, yeah. I, I came across the story when I was looking it up and it's been one of those things where we're talking about skills before and the inmates, some of them haven't even touched a piece of wood in their life and they spent no. nine months working on these boats. Well, often some of these big uh, tall ships, the sail training, they do much the same. Like, you know, they get the youth involved and, you know, like kind of, you know, maybe a little bit wayward, but so they set them straight on the boat because there's, uh, yeah, you've got to follow orders on a boat like that so you can't be too wayward at sea. So I think they set them straight. So there's a lot of things like that happening also. And there's always something that needs to be polished. Oh, well and truly, yeah. There's always something to be done. So, yeah, that keeps them busy and out of trouble. Um, Brett, you mentioned the Japanese uh, drummers before. Uh, what, what have the highlights of the festival been for you so far? Well, there's so much to see. And, you know, you think, I'm going to see this, I'm going to do that. And then you get chatting with some other boat owner or someone's just coming by and suddenly there goes the time and it's like, oh, the festival's over. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise. Where did those four days go? So it's just a thing. Everyone's up for a chat, you know. 
you can pop onto a boat and you know have a look around. It's um if you're ever planning to come to Hobart, I would come when the wooden boat festival's on. If you're not into boats, just pop by because it's uh as I said, it's like an art gallery and a museum all wrapped up into one. So it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, really interesting time to be down there. Um, you mentioned earlier with some of the boats coming across just after Christmas. I thought that must be an interesting convergence with the Australian, you know, well, not Australian, but with the wooden boats coming in about the same time that the the, the massive yachts are coming down from the Sydney to Hobart. Um, in terms of, you know, both of these vessels being there at the same time, it would be logistically a really interesting one to uh, to try and navigate. Yeah. Well, we sailed over all oh, about two weeks ago and then just left our boat, flew back and came back. But um, on the Friday, it's the sail pass. So uh, as you're sailing up to up the Derwent to Hobart, out of every little cove and every little nook, you see a, a wooden boat heading up. So... Uh, we all assembled about 12.30 and then uh, sailed all the way up to Hobart and then that's when the chaos was. Everyone is arriving at the same time, trying to dock, trying to moor and uh, get all the boats uh, sorted out. But uh, it was a little bit windy, so it wasn't quite... Well, it was a spectacle because there was a few boats out of control with all the wind. But, um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's so cool. What have you got left on, I say, this weekend? I guess it's just today. What, what are your plans for the rest of the day? Today, tomorrow, we've got... We've, uh, we're going to one of the uh, symposiums, one of a couple of the talks. We've got breakfast lined up straight after this. And we need to reprovision the boat and we've got to get out of Constitution Dock by 3 o'clock tomorrow. So uh, then we've got the daunting task of sailing back to Geelong. So <laughs> we've got to uh, get ourselves organised. Excellent. Well, I hope you get some decent winds to, to carry you home. Um, more information if uh, our listeners want to check out the Australian Wooden Boat Festival. It's well worth checking out. There's a photo of every single boat uh, that is there down in Hobart and it can be anything from these massive tall ships to one that jumped out at me that I I was I thought, oh, how sweet. It's a little tiny wooden dinghy called Bob and uh, <laughs> I thought possibly its name was actually a verb but lots of, lots of different sizes and shapes of, of all those boats there. It's the Australian Wooden Boat Festival Festival, which is all one word, australianwoodenboatfestival.com.au. So a very simple one to remember. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. Thanks so much, Bert. It's been great speaking with you and um, love to catch up with you when you're back in town. Fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, listening to me. So, uh, yeah, for sure, we'll catch up once we're uh, back in Melbourne. Brilliant. Have a safe trip back. Happy sailing. Thanks, Bron. Okay, Thanks, see Kate. you. Bye for now. Brett Ditchfield there down in Hobart for the Wooden Boat Festival. And yes, we will put those links onto our Facebook page. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinada en tres triple R. All right. Uh, Terry's either on or under the water because we couldn't actually catch up with her. <laughs> Going to put you on a spot for a dive it, report. It's a good sign. If she's not answering yeah. the phone, it means that she's got something better to do. That's it. Yeah. So I'll just go through the weather forecast again and um, hit you up for a, an on-the-spot dive report there, Kate. You could do predictions based on, on what you're hearing in terms of the weather. Yeah, I'll, I'll yep. do my best and I'll quickly jump onto Facebook and see <laughs> what people, photos people are posting. So mostly sunny, which is kind of not relevant, but light winds becoming north to northwesterly, uh, 15 to 20 kilometres an hour in the morning, heading for a top of 25 degrees. Um, and then becoming light in the middle of the day and the tide times as we mentioned are at the heads we are heading for a low tide at 10.29 and then a high tide at 4.39 so slack I'm guessing around one o'clock which is the time when you want to be getting at the water yeah I just had a quick look there's a couple of nice photos coming through which 
I'm assuming they haven't been doctored. The conditions at Flinders look as though they were quite nice yesterday. Yeah, cool. Which is a good sign. Plenty of weedy sea dragons around. And there's been some sightings of some juvenile weedy sea dragons. Aww. So, yeah, when you're talking like an inch to two inch sort of long, I've seen a couple of photos of them. So I'm keen to get out there myself and get a few photos. Little so, yeah, babes. get in the water and yeah. see some baby weedy sea dragons. Yes. Brilliant. Hey, thank you, Kate, very much. That's the best I can do. <laughs> uh, now, it's 9.32. We've probably got a couple of minutes and I know you've brought some more news in. I do. Thank you for that. I've actually wanted to do a bit of a shout-out. So part of the um, Port Phillip Bay funding, a group um, called Remember the Wild, uh, Wild Melbourne, are running a festival basically called Connected to connected to Port Phillip Bay or connected to Port Phillip. Now, there's been some ads being run on the station because there's quite a nice lineup, and there's two events happening, one at Mornington and the other one happening in Point Cook. The one in Mornington is actually occurring on Saturday the 23rd of February. They've got Midlife, Baptism, Baptism of Uzi, Empat Lima, Jess Ribeiro, Jala and Furla playing there. But what you also have is a lot of the um, local, oh, I guess, conservation groups and groups that care about the bay with stalls talking with some of their stories about what it is they've found and what they are working on towards around the base. I'm assuming FOM's probably going to be there from the Eco Centre. We've got people from Earth Care at St Kilda. I know the Victorian National Parks are going to be there. Nicole's going to be giving a talk and Dr Nicole Mertens is going to be giving a talk on the sea slug census. And the idea is to basically bring the bay to people that like music, which... There's, there may not be much overlap. I'm not quite sure whether <laughs> the divers and the music lovers um, overlap all that much. So the idea is to try and just get these unique groups together and to share some of the stories from the Bay. And our very own PT Hirschfield is actually organising a digital photo exhibition, oh, cool. which I'm assuming there's going to be a big screen and it's going to, she's collated these photos from all local divers and there's some spectacular images. And, look, if you're just going to go and watch some good music and see some good photos, it'd be the place to go. So that's at Mornington Park on Saturday the 23rd of Feb. I'm assuming we'll probably do another promo as we get closer to it and then there will be another one at Point Cook on the 23rd of March, which Point Cook is one of those places that most Melburnians have never been to, and in particular the um, beautiful coastal park that they have down there. So this is a way to sort of get people out of their comfort zone, visit a different place and go and see something new. Awesome. Is there a website or is this a word of mouth? It is probably Facebook connected to Port Phillip. It would be the way to find it. Um, and they sort of have the events listings there. They're also putting a call out for volunteers, so if you want to get down and help them out, I'm assuming with the setting up and the packing up and the serving and there's going to be food trucks and, you know, booze and all the rest of it down there. So it sounds like a fantastic day. Yeah. Great. Sounds amazing. Thanks, Kate. Pleasure. Brilliant. Uh, in a couple of moments, we're going to be speaking with Hilary McNevin. Uh, if you missed the start of the show, she's moderating a session next week at the Polar Bay Seafood Festival called Conversations in the Literal. So we're going to be speaking with Hilary about that in just a moment. As we get Hilary on the phone, uh, Cade, you've programmed this next track. Do you want to introduce this one? I did. It's called The Prawn Song by Superorganism. That was the prawn song from Superorganism. I first came across this on NPR's Tiny Desk, which you haven't heard of that 
check that out for sure. And they played it live in the studio with buckets of water. And <laughs> they're on their rider, they had seven crunchy apples, seven cans of cola, and a bucket of water. And that wasn't for them to drink or eat. It was just so they could make the sound effects yeah, during cool. their song. So pretty cool group. Awesome. Uh, 9.38, you're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Now, next weekend, the Apollo-based Seafood Festival will be in full swing. As part of its festivities, Sunday will feature conversations in the literal. From 10 o'clock next Sunday, a panel of experts in seafood production will meet at the Apollo Bay Surf Lifesaving Club to discuss the future of sustainability, science and the realities of primary producer life. And guess what? You can go along and hear it all. To tell us all about it, it's with great pleasure. We welcome back to Radio Marinara, our panel moderator for Conversations in the Literal, Hilary McNevin. Hilary, good morning and welcome back to Radio Marinara. From hello and thank you for having me back. It's a very. It's a, I'm sorry, I can't be in there this morning. We are we are literally thrilled to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm loving it. Thank you. Standing ovation. Thanks. Nerida, thanks. that so didn't deserve a round of applause, but thanks anyway. Now, no, not at all. <laughs> Next, Thanks, next time we'll get you in studio. Now, for um, for listeners who perhaps have recently started tuning into Radio Marinara, you were part of our little crew for a few years talking about sustainability yeah. of seafood. From your perspective as a chef and a foodie, what have you been up to over the last few years? Oh, no, I'm still working in seafood. A lot of my, because, well, as you know, as a food writer and journalist, my work's changed and shifted quite a bit. I do a lot of social media content and still tell stories about food and a lot about seafood in particular. There's a couple of seafood companies and businesses I still work with, actually. And um, and I tell their stories. Um, basically, well, I often say this. I'm still telling stories about food, but I'm in a digital context now. So it's exciting. And it's um, I'm still, still talking to loads of chefs and still interviewing... Lots of people, you know, people in the food and wine world and, um, and yes, yeah, still mad for seafood. Fantastic. Yeah. And so you're a perfect choice for moderating next weekend's Conversations in the Literal, along with Richard Cornish. Um, yes. Can you tell us about Richard? What's Richard's story? Oh, well, if he's listening, he's, he's a dear friend. <laughs> he's a great man. No, he's a very clever writer. Richard is um, right to the age still brain food is his regular column. He's also a great author and has published, I think, about four books. Um, one was the My Year Without Meat. And um, he is really highly regarded. And like me, the two of us have great love of providence and, and land and sea and looking after the earth that we live in. But we both love great food and wine as well. So um, we both were MCs and did this day, hosted, moderated this day last year as well. And we're both really honoured to be asked back to do it again. Yes, you're, you're described uh, as an ineffably passionate team. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered what that go. meant, but I think you've just explained that. So there you go. We both like our work. How about that? That's we're very. We, I, we both have acknowledged we're both very lucky to work in the work. Um, yeah, to work with something we, we both love very much. Brilliant. Now let's go straight to next Sunday's lineup. Um, I noticed yeah. that. So there are three key themes. Can you talk us through yes. those and the yeah, and the speakers who you have. Sure. So the first, um, there's three, as you said, three key themes. The first session I'm moderating, and it's the Big Blue. And what I'm thrilled about, actually, is three of the um, chaps on, on the panel are fishermen that I had on my panel last year. So we're actually going to update for the year. We're going to look at, um, you know, how, how they update and what their year's been like, what, you know, has drought affected and their fishing and, and what volume and yield's been like and just being a fisherman for 12 months. So we're going to have a check-in with them. And that's um, those three guys, that's Russell Frost or Frosty, as I learned last year. Marcus Knoll, who's also one of the um, organisers of the festival. 
and Nick Polgeist. So they're the three fishermen. I'm also going to be talking to Jonathan Davey, who is the um, director of Seafood Industry Victoria, and a guy called Stuart Stuart Frusher, who um, is the director of the Centre for Marine Socioecology. University of Tasmania. Sorry, I got tongue-tied. So he, he's going to talk to me about the, um, the big blue, the blue economy, and um, and what that means in terms of big picture perspective, in terms of seafood and the land working together, and and I guess the strategies and things we can do for a, a safe and secure food future. The second session is Richard's, and it's called In the Zone. And um, Richard's going to be talking to Roderick Poole, Zoe Britton, Shane Buckley, and Chef Dan Hunter from Bray. So I'll just, if you'd love to me give you a quick rundown on who they are. Yeah, that'd Zoe be great. Britton, Zoe Britton is an environmental scientist and anthropology researcher from Deakin University. And Dan is, as I said, the chef and owner of Bray. Shane Buckley is an oyster farmer from Wapenaga Rocks up in New South Wales. He's really interesting the way he operates his farm. And a regenerative farmer, Roderick Poole, from Wangara Farms. Last year, what we, fo- we found that I felt almost quite silly for not being aware of it, but how much the ocean and land feed each other in terms of their health. So if the land is going through drought, of course, the ocean is going to become stressed, and and because they they, they and that's what the literal is, L I W T O R A L. It's that wonderful line where the ocean and the land meet, and so we're really focusing a lot on how do we obviously our, our actions and practices and what we do to keep the land and the water and the ocean happy. It's interesting, isn't it, in terms of the f- the effect of that on um, on the products that come from that and using Wapping yes. Go Oysters as a, an example of that, it's just the reputation that they have is yes. is amazing and I, I'd be, um, I'm not going to be able to get down there but uh, yeah, mm. I'd love to uh, hear from your perspective uh, was Shane on your was Shane on the panel last year? Did you mention? No, he no. wasn't. He um, no, but I've interviewed him a couple of times before at other festivals. He knew the Food and Wine Festival a couple of years ago. He was up there, and um, so he's um, well. He's excited to be able to come down to um, to this one. But the third session, Bron, I'll just mention yes. as well is um, Richard and I are co-moderating that, and it's connecting. Like I was just saying, connecting to sea and country, and so Bruce Pascoe, the extraordinary author, is um, going to. Um, talk to us about the connections, as I was just saying, between the ocean and the land within context of country and how people need to think about it and respond to the space and connecting country and respecting the ocean and the land and the fragility. I think that's where we really want to acknowledge how fragile they are and reactive they are. Mm. And a woman called Bronwyn Razin, who's an eel, um, who farms eels and, um, and how she connects with where she works in um and I, you have to forgive me, I can't remember the place where she works. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You'll find out she next has week. A nearby, I, I, will, I can check in with you next week about where, um, how it goes and what the updates are and things like that. And we're going to record it as well. So it will be a podcast. Fantastic. And then your, yeah. and your final speaker in that section um, is... Yeah, as a chat, well, is a guy called John Clark. And, but he's not, he actually has to still be confirmed. Right. So, um, yes. But, um, so that's the third one, and that's the day. And it goes, each talk's about an hour, an hour and ten. And um, there'll be lunch and morning tea and all those things in between. And then um, oysters and champagne afterwards with Richard Cornish again, but Max Allen's going to work with him on that one. And they're going to tell wonderful stories, seafood stories down on the beach with ocean, um, loads of champagne and oysters. And um, they've actually, it's actually... Um, 
a Victorian story of greed, luxury and catastrophe. Right. They're going to um, recounting the tragic tale of how ancient native oyster reefs around Victoria's shoreline was plundered in the 19th century to feed the hordes of hordes of cashed up gold miners and squatters flooding into the colony. Yes, we've heard about it before. It's an amazing story. Um, Yeah, so that's a separate thing to the conversations, but it's uh, and it's after, but it's on the same day. So if anyone is hoping or planning to come to the conversations in the literal, stick around and get a ticket for that one as well. Now we've got a couple couple of minutes left, um, and while we were lining you up, you and I were speaking about the rest of the festival. Um, Yes. What can you tell us about the rest of the festival? Because it goes all weekend, doesn't it? Yeah, so Friday night is a dinner call down the hatch that's sold out in a few days of it being released. And Nick Malouk from um, The Atlantic is the chef for that night. So that's a dinner basically to celebrate the beginning of the festival. Harbour Day is um, all day Saturday and there's live music and loads of seafood and wine and cocktails and um, restaurants, little pop-up restaurants. And also um, there's a seafood market that morning on Harbour Day where boats, which are out at the moment, will be in on um, Thursday or Friday this week and you can literally buy seafood off the boat, fresh seafood. So there's lots going on. It's going to be very fun. Fantastic. If uh, our listeners want to find out more, and uh, obviously yeah. there are some events that are already sold out, um, there are still tickets available to Conversations in the Literal, I believe? Yes, there yep. are, and Harbour Day. and to the, yeah, It's just the dinner on Friday night that's sold out. Okay. And um, But it's all Saturday and Sunday. Um, there are tickets available. Great. And uh, Jump on um, ApolloBaySeafoodFestival.com. Nice. Fantastic. Thanks, Hilary. It's been uh, absolutely Thanks, joyful speaking with you again. It's so lovely to hear your voice again too. Well, Thank and lo- you. Let's, uh, let's do this more often. Yeah, so if you'd like an update, I can report back. That'd be great. I'll I'll come on in the week after or something because I'm sure we'll have some really interesting things come up. Oh, definitely. And that lineup of guests that you have for next week, or the the panellists, that's about four Radio Marinara shows just sitting there. So. Oh, completely, (laughs) completely. I'm already starting to research my questions. I always get a bit nervous because the minds that we interview are so extraordinary. It's it's, it's a real honour. Really thrilled. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much, Hilary, and good luck for next weekend. Really look forward to catching up with you afterwards. Thanks, Bron. Okay, speak with you soon. Bye for now. Hilary McNevin there uh, moderating next weekend's Conversations in the Literal. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. It's 12 minutes to 10. We're going to listen to a track and then when we come back Jeff Maynard presents his first uh, Soundwaves segment for 2019 uh, playing a track now from a group called Stiff Richards. They're from down on the Mornington Peninsula and uh, had the great pleasure of hearing Nicole Tadpole interview them on Respect the Rock on Thursday and I couldn't go past another show without playing this. This one's um, for all of you out there, maybe who live down on the peninsula and experience the um, the great hordes that suddenly descend upon you uh, or even for those of you who don't actually really like going to the beach in summer and maybe prefer it another time. This is from Stiff Richard's new release called Dig. It's called No Fun on the Beaches in Summer. Talk. Or not. <laughs> Narita's trying to line it up. Um, all right. So, yes, we're still going. Are we going to be able to do this, Narita? Shut it up. Hello, my name is Belvedere, and I have something to say to you while I'm here. With Radio Marinara, you'll all go much farer. So tune in. I'm being sincere. Good morning, Jeff Maynard. Good morning, Bron. Did morning, we wake Kate. you up? 
Sorry? Did we wake you up with that no, track? No, I was bright and early this morning. Yeah, no, I woke up quite early and had my coffee and did my, you know, whatever. I think we might have woken a few people up. Anyway. Big year. Welcome. Thank welcome you. Back. Thank you. Yeah. Sound waves meets blow waves. Yeah. And it's going to be a fluffy year. I'm doing TV shows from the 1970s. Gosh. And um, they're all a bit like a sort of fluffy pink soft toy you know they look nice but they're useless you know and uh, uh, you had lots of women running around in high heels and they'd sort of run up to a 200 pound or 100 kilogram bully and they'd straighten hand their karate chop him on the neck or something and the big guy would fall down and wake up 15 minutes later going oh what happened you know and so it was yeah yeah and 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 they influenced fashion tv shows from the 1970s you know people had to have their macgyver mullet and you know guys carried a bit of chewing gum and a safety pin in case they had to sort of take out a power station or something. <laughs> Still so, do, Jeff. Still do. Oh, so, sorry, <laughs> of course. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'm getting into um, yeah uh, TV shows 1970s, and there's no fluffier one than the one we're about to uh, get into. I hope you brought your groove because we've got a little bit of music, and we might have a little bit of music. Once upon a time, there were three beautiful girls. Two of them graduated from the police academy. The other graduated from a top school for models. But I took them away from all that, and now they work for me. My name is Charlie. Charlie's Angels. I never thought we would bring Charlie's Angels to Radio Marinara. Oh, it's going to get worse through the year. <laughs> <laughs> I can probably. I'm, I'm starting quite a, you know, a, a reasonably pe- high. I've set the bar high. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, begin, begin with a good one. Fabulous. What happens in this episode of Charlie's well, Angels? Well, every episode of Charlie's Angels had angels in the title, so it was like angels undercover, oh, or yeah. uh, you know, angels in trouble, or uh, you know, and this one's called Angels of the Deep. Right. Because it kicks off, they've um, cha- for anybody who doesn't know the show, um, uh, three beautiful girls work for Charlie, who you never see. He's just a voice on the phone, and he runs a Townsend detective agency. And there's a sort of a uh, they have a handler called Bosley, I think he's Boswell or something. Yeah, yeah who, who's a bit of a sort of good-natured idiot who just sort of says, you know, come on, angels, we have to go and find the kidnapper or something. Anyway, this episode starts off and uh, Charlie's let them all have a holiday in Hawaii. So uh, Charlie rings up Bosley, who's somewhere, to say, how are the girls getting on? Bosley? Bosley, what's going on? All of you enjoying your stay in Hawaii? Oh, Charlie, Charlie, we love it. Uh, You know, little Julie, she's been doing so much scuba diving, I'm afraid that she's going to sprout gills. (laughs) As a matter of fact, she's out there right now. A sunken treasure nut like her must be in heaven. Oh, she is, she is. She's found that there are hundreds of fascinating wrecks in these waters. Well, tell her to be careful. I've heard that the currents around those islands can be treacherous. Oh, yes, well, that's why she never goes scuba diving unless she has a guide with her. Don't worry about that girl, Charlie. There is no way she can get in any trouble. Um, is this a PSA? A what? Public service announcement. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you know they're going... I forget their names. There were three of them. Um, uh, you know they're going to get into trouble. And they had complicated plots. And in this episode, uh, some baddie drug smugglers who were smuggling uh, marijuana from Hawaii to the mainland, had some of their marijuana stolen by uh, two 
marijuana stoners. Thieves. <laughs> and, and, and one of the baddies who stole the marijuana was uh, Sonny Bono. Or Clay, oh. Clay. So he spends a whole episode going, hey, that's groovy, man. You know, <laughs> far out. What's going on? You know, and, and it's it's gets worse. Um, anyway, the comp- and, and they have, uh, of course it was 70s TV, you know, there's no blood and um, you know, car chases, cars didn't get dented, they couldn't afford it so they just sort of run into a pole very slowly and steam would come out of the bonnet and all that. And, and your baddies were really kind of, um, uh, well, they, they weren't tough baddies like now. So we've got the baddies trying to figure out how to get their marijuana from the boat that sank or something before the angels get it and uh, we'll listen to them. I just got a call from the mainland. My back is not pleased. They were counting on that grass. The dealers were counting on it. Why don't we get some divers to go down and bring up the grass that went down with the hippies' boat? The starshine is in 1,400 feet of water. It'd take the Glomar Explorer to bring it up. Stick with the chicks. The action seems to be with them, especially since there keeps being more of them. We'll just have a little talk with our two friends. So that's pretty menacing, isn't it? Oh, it's, yeah. It's like, Did I hear uh, a Canadian accent in there? I thought I heard a book. Oh, the go- oh probably. Um, I, I sort of checked a few of them on IMDb and got bored, so I didn't really go. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, no. Uh, so anyway, that was the bad guys. Uh, they run around and... Um, Charlie's Angels have to sort of run around docks and jump into the water in bikinis and wrestle with bad guys and, and scuba dive down and get all the marijuana out of the boat. But it's just about to be carted off by the police and it all falls in the water and the bags burst and it all washes away and Sonny Bono stands there going, oh, what a bummer, man, you know. Um, <laughs> and, that, and that's 50 minutes of television in the 1970s. Uh, I've got one little bit where they're all trying to figure it out. Uh, they're all sort of... They spent half the show sort of sitting around in really nice hotel rooms, sort of in these wonderful sort of flared pants and little tops and things sort of saying, well, gee, I don't know, maybe we should call the police and all that. There's actually one episode I found where they two of them have just, someone's tried to kill them and no mobile phones in those days so they're sort of running somewhere through a shopping mall or something and one Charlie's Angel says to the other one says, you know, you call the police I've got to go and do something with this hair you know, so one one runs to the public phone and calls the police to say someone just tried to kill us, the other one goes to the restrooms and starts fixing up her hair because it's a bit of a mess, so they spend a lot of time doing that but anyway, they've got one more grab, better get on with it and... uh, A boatload of dynamite Maui grass disappeared and some people think you and I know where it is it wouldn't happen to be on that sunken boat we were looking for. There wasn't any sunken boat where we dived. Then why would someone try to kill Julie and blow up your boat? Gee, I don't know. But everything's under control now, really. That's what I came to tell you. Are you trying to say we should stay out of this? Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I'm going diving and forget about the whole thing. You want to come along? No. Thanks anyway. All right. Well, listen, if you change your mind, just ask around. I'm easy to find. <laughs> Brilliant. It's the level. Please okay, tell me there's sorry. a follow-up episode called Angels on High. Oh, look. <laughs> it, 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 it actually ran for about four or five seasons, and I think they're actually making it... They made a few versions a couple of movies a couple of years ago, and I think there's a new one coming out. Right. With, with three more angels. We'll so. find out. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. You're welcome. Looking forward to big hair in sound waves throughout 2019. You'll get some bad stuff. <laughs> Bring hairspray. <It's>, uh, <laughs> the worse, the better. Thanks, Kate. Pleasure, Brian. Thank you, Nerida. Thank you, Kent. 
He has been out there taking your calls and uh, we'll have this show up as a podcast uh, during the course of the morning. Thanks to our guests also today, Brett Ditchfield and Hilary McNevin. On next week's program, Dr Beach is going to be back for his first show of 2019. Neil Blake's coming in uh, to update us on what's going on with um, community plastic pollution uh, efforts and uh, Rex Hunter will be in studio as well. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy. Uh, Thank you guys for letting us steal um, two minutes of your show and uh, have yourselves a wonderful Sunday. We'll catch you next week. A few Facebook links going up this afternoon. Okay, catch you next week. Bye for now. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.